0: Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This episode, let's reflect a little bit on our gardens this past year, shall we? What went well? What didn't? I refer to these as wins and lessons, not losses, because every activity in the garden is a learning experience. Some are just a little bit less pleasant than others. Even though they may not have been productive in the sense of producing a harvest, they will always be productive in the sense of bettering our future gardens and gardening experiences. Today, I will happily review with you what went well in my gardens this year, follow up with the results of a few experiments we had going on, and talk a little about some of those more difficult lessons. Let's dig in, shall we? To my friends in Australia, New Zealand, and other parts of the Southern Hemisphere, welcome to summer. I hope it is lovely and productive for you. We've just now had our first couple of cold fronts come through for the beginning of our winter here, but we'll be back up to unseasonably warm, I think, by the end of next week. And I don't know about other areas, but I have a feeling that's going to be our trend in west-central Missouri for the rest of the season, hopefully mixed in with some much-needed precipitation We can absolutely use the rain, and I'll take the snow, too. I would be super happy with a white Christmas. The ice, however, can just stay away as far as I'm concerned. So for those of you who are at the end of your season, when you think back on your garden this year, what went well? Did you try something new and have a pleasant experience with it? Did you have an unexpected bumper crop of something? Did you have an unusually easy year with insect pressure or diseases? let's celebrate those wins. For us here, we had a fabulous year for spring greens. We had an unusually long, cool spring. In fact, for us to have a spring at all is actually kind of unusual. Usually we go from the cold of winter to maybe two weeks of mild weather, and then straight to summer. At least that's what it feels like. But this year, the spring temperatures and the rainfall were perfect for fantastic leafy greens. And that weather lasted for about 10 or 12 weeks. Our lettuces were beautiful, both the head lettuces and the loose leaf. And the bok choy was the biggest and best we've ever had. And it all just kept coming on. We planted a couple of successions of the bok choy, and usually the second one is smallish and skinny and really most suited to bundling as baby bok choy. This year, we had two full successions of extra large bok choy, and then a third one that ended up as the baby version. It was fantastic. The loose leaf lettuces had four successions, and all four did well, plus they each kept coming back for many more weeks than is typical here before getting bitter. We also managed to get second harvests out of our head lettuces by cutting them off just above the soil line and allowing them to regrow, which we harvested as additional loose leaf. I also trialed some mini artisan heads of lettuce this year, which I absolutely fell in love with. They were three varieties that I intended to grow several years ago, but never got around to. But now that I have, I will grow them every year. They were three varieties from Johnny's Seeds. Seagullain, which I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Seagullane, it's C-E-G-O-L-A-I-N-E. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, Seagoline, Rosane, and Dragoon. All very weird names, but again, I'll link them in the show notes so you can see what they are. Um, one is a mini romaine. The other two are mini butterheads, one green and one red. They grew really well. Even once the heat hit, they didn't get bitter and they didn't bolt for quite a while. They were super tasty and crisp and they looked fabulous together as a trio. One head is the perfect size for a single serving. So they're great for individuals or if you're the only one in your family that eats salad. So those are definitely going on my list of varieties to keep for next season. So this past spring was just what one would hope to get out of growing leafy greens. Fingers crossed that we get a similar weather pattern next spring, and I can replicate this experience, or at the very least, I can time my plantings to take advantage of what we do get in the way of cooler weather and get a nice big successive harvest again. The other really big win this year in my gardens was a jalapeno and bull's horn peppers, I planted those in raised beds in the garden that's in front of the house, which what I refer to as the home garden or the kitchen garden. I planted nine of the Jedi jalapeno plants and about the same number of Carmen bullshorn peppers. All of those plants went absolutely crazy this year. It's not the first time I've grown them, but for some reason, they really flourished in those beds. In fact, they did so well that I took cuttings of them to start as new plants for next year. And I dug some mature plants to winter over. I'll talk a little bit more about that when I give an update on my garden experiments this year. But overall, both varieties produced boatloads of peppers this year. I'm not sure if it's because I had just refreshed those beds with new compost or if the weather conditions just made them happy, which I don't think it was that because we didn't have an extremely hot summer and peppers usually love the heat. I didn't water them much at all, which certainly made the flavors more intense in both varieties, particularly making those jalapenos have quite the punch to them. And they really didn't see much bug pressure at all the whole season. I was really, really happy with them. Of course, I sort of consider peppers as a fall harvested crop because they take so long to come to maturity, which is why they're part of an experiment this year. More on that in a minute. And then finally, my marigolds. Oh my gosh, did those go crazy this year. It was my first time planting them from seed on a really large scale, and I just used my usual Durango mix of the Traditional French marigold, the yellow and orange and red colors that I always think of when I think of marigolds. I started them pretty early indoors in my propagation room in the basement, and then I put them out into the greenhouse to harden off. Now, I originally intended to plant them and mass in and around the brassicas, but my timing was off on that. So most of them actually ended up around my cucumbers and my tomatoes, and they were huge. By the end of the season, each single plant was the size of a garden mum that you would buy in a two-gallon pot. Huge! In fact, I probably should have cut them back before they got to that point, sort of like a garden mum, because toward the end, they really started to like split down the middle and got really ugly. <laughs> so I'm going to remember that next season because I sure as heck i am going to do that again. I'll look back at my garden journal and see when I started them last year because it seems like the timing on that was perfect for big, beautiful marigold growth. So those are my biggest wins from this season, I think. You know, gardening is so much fun when things go well and the plants flourish and there's minimal bug and weed pressure and you're getting a great harvest from your plants. It makes gardening such a joy. It's those times that balance out the not-so-great experiences in the garden. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So what didn't go well this year? I can tell you, hands down, my biggest lesson this year was in our curcubits. And I mean all of them. Zucchini, yellow squash, cucumbers, winter squashes, anything in that family. Here in the Midwest, we have three pests that are the main plague of curcubits. The squash bug, the squash vine borer, and the spotted cucumber beetle. Of course, there are others, but those are the big three. Usually, we manage these by using row cover to exclude them from the initial planting, but eventually you have to uncover them for pollination and then the bugs swoop on in. We also plant successions of each of these because we know that we're going to lose that first crop. And to get a continuous harvest, we'll need a second or sometimes third to make up the difference. Now, for winter squashes, that's not really possible because they have to grow all season long to produce their harvest in the late summer. So we just plant a lot of them knowing that we're going to have losses. We try to reduce the pressure of these insects by making sure to rotate the crop families each season, not repeating anything in that field for at least three years, clearing out all the debris at the end of the season, and be sure nothing is overwintering, using first Saturday lime to deter what we can, handpick for as long as it's feasible, all the things. This year, it just plain didn't work. We struggled the entire season to maintain a crop. Three succession plantings that all succumbed to the squash bug and the vine borers faster than usual. Diseases spread by the cucumber beetle taking out plants faster than we could get a harvest. It was awful. And it wasn't just in our main fields. I had three beautiful beds of lemon cucumbers growing up huge trellises in the kitchen garden. And they were loaded with fruit. I was super excited for a long season of harvesting those lovely heirloom cucumbers. If if you follow the podcast on Instagram, you can probably scroll back and see some photos of those. Um, I'm pretty sure I put them in my feed, but I also had highlighted them in my stories too. They were great. But after the first week of harvesting, I saw the cucumber beetles. And then I saw the damage they were causing and the telltale sign of bacterial wilt, the disease that they spread. Within three weeks, my big, beautiful vines were completely decimated and had to be pulled out. I was so pissed. So next year, we're not growing anything in the curcubit family. Nothing. No squash, no cucumbers, no pumpkins. For our farm customers, we'll need to partner with another grower to provide them with what they need for the season. It's the only way I feel like we'll be able to get this problem under control or at least begin to anyway. The second thing is when we do go back to planting curcubits again, we'll need to use some form of chemical control. Organic forms of pest control like Bacillus thuringiensis or BT and um, Spinosad will need to be employed early in the season before the blossoms start popping up in order to keep these little monsters at bay. I just can't see going through as much effort as we did this year to keep a harvest coming on. It was ridiculous. It was the one thing that had me truly pulling my hair out. The other lesson this year came in terms of timing my fall garden. I'm always really good about counting back from our first frost date and then adding days on for the waning sunlight hours and planting my crops accordingly to be sure they get to maturity when I need them to. But what I failed to account for this year was the heat and the lack of moisture. For some reason, and this is a first for me, when I planted all of these fall crops, the timing was just way off. It was too hot for spinach to germinate. There was not enough rain for the carrots to sprout. The bug pressure was off the chart for my fall bok choy, shard, and beets, which all got decimated by flea beetles. Like, my fall garden was a hot mess. We don't irrigate our fields, so I try not to do transplants for fall because in order to time the harvest, that means putting plants in the ground in mid to late summer when it's bone dry. Now, keeping the beds well mulched and pulling back the mulch to direct seed has worked well in the past because the mulch trapped the moisture in and kept the soil more cool. I hesitate to put a plant in the ground under those same conditions, though, unless I know it's going to immediately rain. Otherwise, I'm forced to hand water with five-gallon buckets in the field to be sure those plants are watered in. It's doable, and after the absolute miserable germination I had this year, I may hedge my bets from now on and do half from direct seed and half as started plants, just to be sure. I'll also be sure to have my row covers at the ready to put over plants to avoid the flea beetles. I guess I was just so impressed with how spring had gone, I failed to remember that fall is a completely different story when it comes to pest pressure. No matter how long you've gardened, there are always lessons to learn and sometimes relearn, I guess. You've heard me talk about First Saturday Lime, the environmentally friendly alternative to pesticides that we use on our farm. We use it everywhere, in the gardens, in the chicken coops, in the pig pastures, and around the outside of our home. First Saturday Lime created a non-caustic formula that is tough on bugs, but totally safe for humans and pets. And now, as a listener of the Just Grow Something podcast, First Saturday Lime can be your favorite natural pest control, too. You can save 20% off your first order by using the code JUSTGROW at checkout at firstsaturdaylime.com. It's a super strong formula derived from eco-friendly products, and it's so effective, I have a 20-pound bag delivered every month to use on the first Saturday. Go to FirstSaturdayLime.com and use code JUSTGROW for 20% off your first order. And that brings me to this year's experiments. Early on, back in episode 5, I talked all about experimenting in the garden, and I specifically mentioned a trial I was performing here with some of our determinate field tomatoes. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes, but the experiment involved trying to get some of our field tomatoes to maturity and ripening earlier than usual because we didn't have our high tunnels in place this year to plant too many indoor tomatoes. If you want tomatoes early in Missouri, they better be growing under plastic or you won't have tomatoes until July. And that's because our weather here doesn't settle, meaning the temperatures aren't consistently high enough and the soil isn't warm enough to transplant tomatoes until around Mother's Day, the second week in May. So I thought if I were able to transplant much bigger tomato plants than usual, some that were really ready to start producing or that already had fruit on them, then I'd be able to have ripe tomatoes earlier. The problem with this is that when you transplant a plant, they always go through a little period of shock. That usually sets them back and can cause any blooms or fruit already on the plant to drop off. The solution to this was to find a way to transplant them into the field without disturbing the roots. So early on, I potted up about two dozen of them into one-gallon fabric grow pots, not big enough to grow them in all season, but big enough to get them to a really good size and producing blooms and fruit, and I kept them all in my greenhouse. When the time came to transplant in May, I brought those plants along with all the others out to the field and I cut the bottom off of the grow bags, placing the entire bag down into the soil. This kept the roots from being disturbed, and since it was a fabric bag, the roots hadn't gotten all circled up around each other and bound up. Once they were exposed to the fresh soil, they simply started growing again. And what I had hoped would happen, happened. There was no transplant shock, no blossom or fruit drop, They continued growing just like they had in the greenhouse, and I did indeed have ripe field tomatoes ready a full month before I normally would have. It was so cool. The only thing I did wrong was to not start staking the tomatoes in their grow bags while they were in the greenhouse. So when I moved them to the field, I had to immediately trellis them because they were big but not very sturdy. They sort of started flopping around up there. So when I try this again this year, I think I'll have even better results by staking them ahead of time so they really don't have to be trellised right away. They'll be much sturdier plants. And yes, they did outperform the other field tomatoes they were planted with, so I plan to do many more this way next season. The other experiment from this year is the peppers, and I mentioned those in episode 65, Overwintering Plants Indoors. This is what I referred to toward the beginning of the episode with my jalapenos and the bull's horn peppers, but also with my little orange snacker peppers. I decided to try three ways of overwintering the plants indoors. I dug up two of the snacker peppers, transplanted them into pots, and brought them into the house to actively grow and produce over the winter. Then I took cuttings from all three types of peppers, potted them up to become new plants for next season. And I took full plants of all three types of peppers, stripped them of their leaves, and then potted them up to overwinter in a dormant state for the season. I went into detail on how I did this in that episode, and obviously this is still an experiment in progress. What I can say is that I totally screwed up on two of the three methods, and I absolutely knew better. So where did I go wrong with the peppers? Well, first of all, when you transplant something, you're supposed to put it out of direct sun for a few days to allow the plant to reroute itself and get over the transplant shock and then gradually bring it back into the light. What did I do? I brought those plants down into my propagation room in the basement, put them under 12 hours a day of grow lights immediately, and then was somehow shocked three days later when they had almost lost all of their leaves and looked like they were going to burn up. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I know why I had that lack of judgment moment. It's because I was scrambling to get those plants inside because we had just been out of town for a week and it was going to hit well below freezing for the first time that night when we got home. So I was frantically digging up plants and potting up cuttings to save my experiment before losing all those plants. So in my haste, I put them downstairs and didn't think it through until it was almost too late. Now, the two snacker peppers that are in the two-gallon pots have started to bounce back from that, thankfully. They've got brand new leaves coming in, and I have no doubt they'll do just fine, but they certainly will not be as productive for me over the winter as they would have had I not shocked the heck out of them the way that I did. The second problem is the cuttings I took to root as new plants were way too big. I should have taken smaller cuttings of new growth from the tops of the plants, but instead I took the older, woodier growth for some reason. I blame that on being rushed too, and I probably was just trying to be ambitious. The cuttings were all dipped in rooting hormone and have been in their pots, but I can tell some of them just aren't going to make it. So time will tell whether the rest of them root and begin to regrow to be large transplants in the spring. The third method, however, seems to be going really well. Those are the plants that I completely stripped of their leaves and have sitting in a dormant state. Now, even though they're only getting ambient light and a little bit of water once per month, I've already had to clip off a few new leaves from one or two of the plants. So I have high hopes that once things start to warm up in the spring, I'll be able to gradually give those plants more light, more heat more water, and a little bit of plant food, and then harden them off to go back out into the garden as big, beautiful, productive specimens like they were this year. Experiments in the garden are fun if you have the time and the space to do it. Uh, Even if it's not something as elaborate as what I've done, you can always try your own experiments of some sort each season. Whether it's a new variety, a new trellising method, a new pruning technique, or whatever, you never know how much you can improve your garden and your gardening experience until you try. And if it doesn't work out, well, no big deal. You learned another lesson in the garden, and those are always a good thing. I hope you had plenty of winds in your garden that you can look back on from this year and not too many lessons learned the hard way. And if your gardening season is just now getting underway, well, good luck and happy planting. Until next week, my gardening friends, enjoy whatever weather you may be having and whatever you may harvest, and whatever holiday you are celebrating. And I'll talk to you again next week. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon.